hope you have your Bibles. If you do, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere close to you in the pew, maybe in front of you, maybe just down a little bit, you'll be able to find one. We're in the book of Hebrews, and I've, I hope maybe since we started this last week, the book of Hebrews, that maybe some of you had had an opportunity uh, to read in the book of Hebrews. And I know if you're in FBI, you have, because I think that's part of the reading that they're going through in FBI right now. So they'll be getting a double dose. But let me just tell you know straight out, I love the book of Hebrews. <laughs> I love the book of Hebrews. I think it has such a wonderful message for us. And we're going to really be delving into it deeply as we go through this. But I am so excited about going through this book. And not maybe for the reason that you think. You probably know that I'm kind of a doctrinal kind of guy. I like to get into the scriptures deeply. But if that's all that happens is that we go and talk about some doctrines and there's really no change to our life, then we've really wasted our time. And so there's two parts kind of a preaching. There's the part that I do in bringing the word to you and kind of explaining the word and helping us interpret what the word is saying. But then there's the application part. In other words, application asks the question, now that I know this, how is my life going to change into the image of Christ? And so that's where you guys have got to do some of the work. I can suggest some applications, but please, as we go through this, don't just be looking at the doctrinal teachings that we go through as important as they are. They're the foundation of our faith. But also be thinking about now that I've learned this, now, now what? What does God want to do in my life with this information that I've received? And so I pray that you will take it that way, and I think we'll have just a fantastic time in the book of Hebrews. The scripture today is actually going to be the same scripture we had last week, but we'll go ahead and stand and read it again um, just to refresh our memories and, uh, and to see where we're at. Last week we, we talked a lot about the background of the book of Hebrews, and we'll review that a little bit today, but let's go ahead and read the scripture. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to read scripture today. We think of the many generations that scripture has been passed down to us. It's the word of God. And we thank you that we can read it and study it today and know what you have for us and how you want us to live this Christian life. And so we pray that you would help us to discern that today. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. So just a little bit of a review of last week and the book of Hebrews where we're starting out here. First of all, we learned last week that we do not know the author. It's one of the things that's kind of unusual about the book of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who wrote it. There have been a lot of people suggested, 
A lot of people think it was once again Paul who wrote a, a big part of the New Testament. But some of the stylistic differences maybe tend to think that it was not Paul. So a lot of people think it's Apollos because Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. And as you see, as we go through the book of Hebrews, it is a very elegant, very beautifully written piece of scripture. And so we don't know who that is. It's probably not really that important to argue about, right? <laughs> it's the word of God. It was inspired by God. And so we take it as that. The author, whoever he is, is writing to the Hebrew Christian people. In other words, he's writing to Jews who had heard the gospel and some of, some of them had received Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's also possible that this letter or actually sermon, it's probably more properly defined as a sermon, was also read and received by people who maybe were kind of on this fence, maybe some who had rejected Christ and yet they still had heard this word. And so what we're trying to do by doing this background is kind of putting ourselves in their position because that's how you interpret scripture. We don't ask the question, what does it mean to us today? We ask the question, well, what did it mean to the recipients of the letter back then? That's what's important. And we talked even last week about that's how we would love to have our constitution interpreted by the original authors and what they intended for it to mean. And so we, tr we try to put ourselves into the situation, which is difficult for most of us, right? We are not Jews, most of us. There could be some here today that I don't know about, but most of us uh, associate with being Gentiles. We were not brought up in the Jewish faith. And uh, so it takes a little bit of work for us to do this. One thing we can know for sure is that this book was written about 60 to 70 AD. And so not that long after Jesus lived. I mean, Jesus probably died on the cross and resurrected around 33, 35 AD, something like that. So maybe just 20, 25 years. And uh, that may seem like a long time to a lot of you, but to me, I'm 64, it's not that long of a time. It flies by like that. But uh, the important thing about the date is that we know that the temple itself was still in operation. The Jewish temple was not ransacked until about 70 AD. And so, and there's indications within the book itself that the temple was still in service and still in operation. In other words, these Christians who were going through persecution were tempted to go back to a temple that was in service and operating. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go a little bit further. Uh, and and so they, they did, they had, they had a great temptation uh, to go back because they were being persecuted. They had received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, Judaism was a recognized uh, religion in the Roman Empire. Christianity was not. Christianity was known to have started some, you know, kind of uprisings and difficulties. And so uh, they were being persecuted for that. And we see some of that in the book of Hebrews itself. So they desperately, some of them, by the, what the book of Hebrews itself says, were wanting to go back what was familiar and comfortable, which was, hey, let's just go back to offering sacrifices in the temple. It was a lot less hassle doing that. And because of the persecution, they were tempted to do that. They were also, we talked about last week, they were tempted 
to want to have a clear guilt-free conscience. And they couldn't because they had misinterpreted what Jesus had done for them on the cross. We know, and it is a truth, that Jesus died in such a way that all who believe and trust in him have their sins totally forgiven and are on their way to heaven, right? Amen? Amen. That's a truth. But they were used to what they call the Day of Atonement, which was only done once a year and sacrifices were made on one time during that year for the sins of the whole nation. And many of them, I'm sure, were wondering, well, you know, I have become a Christian. I have sinned. Is Jesus going to come back every year and die for my sins again? Or should I go back to this old temple sacrifices? That was another temptation that they had. And so they misunderstood the sacrifice of Jesus. They felt as though they should go back and sacrifice something for their sins. And so in a sense, kind of earn their salvation back. And I mentioned before, if you've got your hand out here, the truth of the matter is, is that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to save all who believe. It's sufficient, right? He doesn't have to come back to die continually for our sins. And the book of Hebrews mentions that. But he died once for all for our sins. And so we can be sure when we place our faith and trust in him that our sins are forgiven and that we will have eternal life. And so this book really is a wake-up call. <laughs> it's a wake-up call for them, telling them Jesus is greater than anything that you can think that you want to go back to. He is greater. These are words that are used over and over in this book, is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. Jesus is more excellent and better than all that you would want to return to. There's no reason for you to go back. The writer of Hebrews is imploring with them. He says, don't go back. In fact, he gets to a point in the book where he says, you cannot go back. There is, a, there is this time period, this transition, where the temple and the old sacrifices are passing away and the new kingdom has come and salvation is through Jesus Christ and him alone. It's always been through Jesus Christ. But the people saw the offering of their sacrifices as very instrumental. It gave them a sense of confidence that their sins were forgiven. But there's a point where the Old Testament and the old ways have passed away, and you cannot go back to that. If you've heard about the gospel, you cannot go back. Well, does this apply to us in any way today? I think it does. I think it does apply to us today. Isn't it tempting sometimes, even maybe within this last year, to want to just kind of settle back and not fight the fight like we used to fight the fight? We have a temptation to want to go back to our own ways as well. To shrink back is the term that the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, to shrink back, not be engaged in the fight, but to kind of shrink back and just let things pass by. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't do that. He said, no, don't look back, look forward. Look forward to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look forward, church, right? We look forward. We look forward to the hope of one day this is all going to be over with and we will be in perfect paradise with, with Jesus right there with us. And so that is part of our message today, 
In fact, I would say the most important message is that we look forward to Jesus and follow his example. He went through suffering himself, didn't he? And we will go through suffering as well, and it's important for us to remain strong. Well, this scripture that we just read and the whole chapter of, of chapter one really is about Jesus as being God's greatest messenger. And through the book of Hebrews, we will learn several things that Jesus is superior uh, above and better than. But this first one is that Jesus is God's greatest messenger. In fact, Jesus is a greater message messages than all the prophets of old. If we just start going down through our verses that we've read here before, it says, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God in the past, before Jesus, spoke to the prophets of old. And he, God was able to communicate through those men his messages to them. This was not them speaking on their own initiative, but Scripture very clearly says that no prophecy of Scripture, nothing that we have in our Bible, uh, came by the will of man, but men spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we get a sense of how these prophets spoke to us. They spoke not their own words, but they spoke words from God to the people. He spoke through many of prophets and in many different ways. We have almost in our Old Testament at least 17 prophetical books written by prophets to the nation of Israel and to the nation of Judah, plus many other prophets in the Old Testament. Moses was a prophet. Samuel was a prophet. Elijah was a, was a prophet. John the Baptist was a prophet. Jesus was a prophet. We have all of these people who are speaking to us over an 1,800-year period of time. Many of them suffered for what they spoke when they spoke the words of God. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11. Some of them were mocked, flogged, even put in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were given, sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. These were the prophets of old, and they spoke the words of God to the people. And yet they were not perfect, right? They were not perfect. And did the people of Israel listen to the prophets? No. <laughs> they might have listened for a time. They might have repented for a time. But they did not repent fully and finally, and they never really did as a nation fully give themselves over to the Lord, to, to God, with their whole heart. They did for a period of time. But remember, even in the desert when they went to receive the Ten Commandments, remember God or Moses going up on the hill to receive the Ten Commandments, people were to stay down below and uh, to wait for Moses as he brought the word of God down to them and it wasn't very long before they said to Aaron we want you to make us a golden calf and I don't know why Aaron did it peer pressure pressure from the people he made them a golden calf and they even gave the golden calf credit for bringing them out of Egypt which we know that the Lord did that work and so 
these prophets, they spoke the truth, and yet the people really did not listen. And of course, the question for us today is, are we listening? Are we listening to Jesus? Are we listening to the prophets written in the Old Testament, what they have written to us? That's a question we have to consider today. And he spoke, these prophets, they spoke through many various and different ways. I th I'm thinking of the book of Daniel and the visions that Daniel was allowed to see and interpret. There was uh, visions by Potiphar in the book of Exodus and Joseph interpreted those. Many times the prophets use symbols and they use parables. And the prophets warned them of trusting other gods and trusting other kings over God and trusting other nations. This has always seemed to be the message of the prophets is the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah was always tempted to place their faith in other military powers, either Egypt or Assyria, to protect them from the other person. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And God kept telling them, you need to trust in me alone. Don't fear their chariots and their armies. I will bring you through this. But invariably, they wouldn't do that. And they would take on other gods as well as the God who created them. They didn't listen. They were warned, but they did not listen. Are we listening today? <laughs> Are we listening as a church? Are we listening as individuals? Are we listening as a nation to what God is trying to tell us? I had a verse that kept being stuck in my mind this week. Really totally nothing to do with the book of Hebrews, but I posted it on our Facebook page because it's, I think it's an example of listening to Jesus. Now I don't believe in you know, God ever using audible voices because I believe his word is complete in the Bible. But he, he does take verses that you have memorized or pop up and he gives you that little nudge that says you need to pay attention to this one. And so here was the verse that he gave me. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. That's how we are to forgive folks. We're to forgive as God and Christ forgave you. And this is, so, this is so important and could be another sermon because Jesus said, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So we, we gotta do a reality check, right? What do we believe about forgiveness? and the extent to which God has forgiven us and the extent of rebellion that we were in and how gracious he was to forgive us. Because if we, don't, if we don't understand that, we will not be able to forgive others the way that we should. And we may not be able to forgive others as we should because we, in fact, are not forgiven. We have placed our faith in something that is not going to save us. So listen, listen to this. Listen, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's one thing that I heard from Jesus this week. So are you listening in the same way? Are you searching through God's word? When you have a question come up about your life, are you searching for, through God's word to find the answer to your question? And you may say, well, the answer is not always in there. That's true, but 
about 95% of what we need to know is in the Bible. <laughs> and so be obedient to what you know. And I always bank on Psalm 37.4. If there's something that's not directly in Scripture, Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Write that down. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If there's a decision in your life that you need to know the answer to, think of this verse. Now, it sounds really good, right? Give, he will give you the desires of your heart. It sounds, that sounds like a blank check, right? But look at the condition. Take delight in the Lord, right? It's a conditional. If you are taking delight in the Lord, if he is your number one person, your object, your, the, your number one uh, person of worship, and you put him first in all things, then your desires are going to be in line with his, right? Mm -hmm. And so have the freedom if you, are, if you are taking delight in the Lord to do what you want, right? <laughs> do what you want, and you will be doing what God wants. We're fortunate that God sent us a better messenger than the prophets, right? As magnificent as they were, they were not perfect. They were not a perfect reflection of who God is, but he sent a better messenger, Jesus, right? He sent Jesus. Jesus is the better messenger. How is Jesus the better messenger? Well, first of all, Jesus is God's son says in verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. I'm reminded of the parable of the tenants. I don't know if you remember this parable or not. Uh, I hope I can remember it for you, but there was an owner who had a vineyard and he had tenants to operate that vineyard for him. And so when it came time for the fruit to be picked, he sent servants to collect what he was due as being the owner of the vineyard. And what did the tenants do? Did they give them the fruit? They didn't give them the fruit. They killed them. And, uh, and so the owner had no fruit. So he, he thought, well, I'll send even more servants. So he sent even more servants, and the tenants once again killed them. You can kind of see a picture here, right? This is a picture of the Old Testament prophets. Then finally he said, well, they're not respecting the authority of my servants. I will send my very own son. And they will respect him. And so they did not respect him, right? <laughs> they did not respect him. They ended up killing him as well, which is a sign of those who rejected Jesus Christ. But he sent his son as one who speaks with authority. He speaks for God. Jesus speaks for God. And that's why he is a, a better messenger. He is our best opportunity. You ever think about it? People do reject Jesus and the offer of salvation. They do reject that. But Jesus is our best opportunity. If they can hear him, hear his words, hear his good news, he is our, their best opportunity uh, to come to know him as Lord and Savior, hearing his words. And so he comes in a better messenger because he, Jesus is God's son. He's also his heir. In other words, 
He's the one who will eventually have a control over all things, even us. And so he comes as an heir, one who has the power, one once again who has the authority uh, to make decisions, one to whom we will uh, eventually be accountable. And he is a better messenger because he is the heir. Jesus is a creator. If you're going down through your outline there, Jesus is the creator. He knows us. He knows our thoughts, our desires. He knows our deepest feelings. He knows how to persuade us, right? <laughs> he knows how to persuade us. His word is powerful. It created the world after all, after all, right? It created everything that's around here. And so surely his words can be very persuasive to us. And we bank upon that, right? We share the gospel the best way that we know how. But ultimately, we bank upon the Holy Spirit and his persuasive power to bring that person to Christ. And so Jesus is the creator, and as the creator, he is a better messenger. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. What, what in the world does this mean? Well, I think, of, I think of Jesus as being his radiance, as the visible portion of God in this world. If we want to say, I want to see God, who do we point to? Jesus. Because he is that part of God's glory that is radiating out into the world. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. What does this mean? It means that he's God. <laughs> he is exactly like God. Philip asked to see the Father from Jesus, right? He said, Jesus, just show us the Father and I will be satisfied. We will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you so say, show us the Father? Jesus conveys exactly what God is like to us. Not like the prophets. The prophets could not do that. Only Jesus can do that. If we listen. <laughs> if we listen. Finally, Jesus is a better messenger, and he has the best message. <laughs> he has the best message. Did you count? catch this in the third verse? It says that he's the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his word of power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus paid it all, right? Jesus paid all of our debt sin. He paid all of our debt sin. He made purification for sin. And anyone who comes to him and trusts in him can be forgiven of their sins and be reconciled to God if they will just come and say they're sorry and repent and turn toward him. This is all based upon who Jesus Christ is. He, once again, he is the creator. He upholds the universe with the word of his power. It shows how powerful his message and his word is, right? He is powerful. He is upholding the universe. Not only was the universe created through Jesus, he had an instrumental part in the creation of the universe. He created it, but he is now upholding it. I can't even imagine what that means, right? <laughs> we look... We look 
further out and we look further in and that statement almost makes no sense because we know that there are galaxies further than what we can see out from us and something is keep, keeping them all in their orbits and managing them and that something is Jesus Christ. He's keeping the stars burning. He's keeping the galaxies rotating. He's keeping the black holes in their places. He's keeping the waves as they come to shore in their routine. And if you go further and further in, he's keeping the atoms in their positions as well. He's upholding all of that with the word of his power. And so how can he not be a better messenger? And he has the best message for because of what he's done. He has made purification for sins. It says that he sat down. You know what that indicates, right? indicates he's finished his work is finished just like he said on the cross it is finished he's paid the debt for our sins it's finished and he has become superior to the angels and we'll talk more about what that means next week but I want to close just by asking the question one more time are you listening to Jesus today first of all have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior and surely today, if you've been here today, you've heard the gospel. If not, let me make it really clear. The gospel is that we have been separated from God by our sin. We have willfully rejected him, his authority over our life. And this is true of all of us. I don't have to point to any particular sin like homosexuality or adultery or lying or gossip. I don't have to point to any of those because all of us have sinned are in our need of being reconciled with God. And sometimes we try to do that, right? We think, well, if I can just be good enough, if I can stop lying, if I can stop cheating on my taxes, if I can stop being dishonest, then I will gradually be in God's favor and the good will outweigh the bad and I'll be okay when judgment time comes. The trouble is that it doesn't work that way. The trouble is that one sin tips the scales in our disfavor. And so... We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it by our good works is the kind of churchy Bible way of saying it. We can't do it by doing enough good because we've already rebelled against God. What we need is someone to pay our fine for us. If we could just find someone who is qualified to pay our fine, maybe the judge would let us go. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. By going to the cross, he paid the fine which is death, spiritual death, separation from God in a place called hell. He paid that penalty for us. And not, he died for us in our behalf. But you know the rest of the story. He didn't stay dead. <laughs> he came back to life. He came back to life on Easter Sunday. That's the day that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And we celebrate that. It is a celebration. Why? It's a celebration because his resurrection shows that God the Father found his sacrifice acceptable. Otherwise, Jesus would have had to stay in the grave as well. But he didn't. And because he didn't, he gives hope to all of us when the Bible says that if we place our faith and trust in who Jesus is, that he is Lord, and what he has done, that he has saved us from our sins, then we can be restored to God. And so are you listening to that message today? Have you made that willful decision to accept Christ into your life as your Lord, your Master, and as your Savior. If you've not,
today's a perfect day to do that. And we'll give you an opportunity in, in a few minutes to do that. But this question, are you listening, is not just for those who have not yet believed. It's for us to, as well. How do we listen to God? Do we wait and wait for an audible voice? I think you'd be waiting for a long time. Because I believe God's word is complete. The Bibles that we have encompass all of the word that we have that the Lord is going to give us. You see, Jesus was the best, and so he was the last. <laughs> and when this Bible was complete, everything that Jesus wanted in here, we don't need to add to that. And so I wouldn't be listening for an audible voice, but I would be reading God's word on a daily basis. Reading it, developing the relationship that you have with Christ. And those of us who have been married for a while, it's almost like we don't have to talk anymore, right? We know exactly what the other person is thinking. And so in, in your relationship with Christ, the more time you spend with him, the more your relationship will come like that. You will encounter a situation and your mind immediately will go to God's word and you'll, and you'll remember what God said about that and your decision will be relatively simple. I say simple, it doesn't mean easy because <laughs> some decisions are very hard but it will be simple and so make yourself a student of God's word and listen to Jesus and you will be blessed beyond measure we're going to be talking more about Jesus and how superior he is next week we'll be talking about angels and how he has superior than them uh, but as we close we're just going to have a word of prayer I'm going to ask each of you to stand while we sing. I'm going to ask each of you to be in just your own little sphere of prayer with God. No one else interfering, but just go to God and be honest and tell him what is true, that you've sinned against God, that you're sorry, you want to repent, and then listen to what he has to say. And... I believe he will give you words of affirmation that will say, you are blessed, you are loved, I receive you, you're my child, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to hear your words and to understand that you have, you have provided everything that we need to have salvation, a salvation that lasts forever through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us during this time of singing to praise him, to honor him, to glorify him for that, but also to be very honest with ourselves that we need the Lord. We need him in our life. We can't do without him. We can't make decisions that are good for our families without Jesus speaking words into our life through his word. So help us to be the people of God you've asked us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.